Welcome to the Business of Happiness podcast. It's your host, Dr. Taryn McCarthy, and this is the podcast where we put happiness first. I help high-achieving, deeply passionate healthcare professionals like you rediscover their happiness and their freedom. Join me in conversations with experts to uncover our unique definition of happiness and answer the question, is there really such a thing as work-life balance? (laughs) If you've heard yourself saying, you know, I'll be happy when, well, my friend, the time is now. Time to step out of the busyness of your life and time to step into the business of happiness. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Happiness podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Taryn McCarthy, and today is going to be such a great day. I am so excited to bring you this incredible guest of ours today. We have with us the one and only Dr. Shrikumar Rao. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Hello, Taryn. It's my pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this day for so, so long. I'm just so eager for my audience to get to know all about you. For those of you who have not met or heard Dr. Shrikumar Rao, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He holds a PhD from Columbia Business School, and his courses have been among the most popular and highest rated at many of the top business schools in the world. He is the author of Are You Ready to Succeed? He has several books out, but the new book that I'm talking about today is this incredible one I'm holding in my hands, Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots. And Dr. Shrikumar is an elite coach who has a very specific niche of people that he works with. And Shrikumar, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do and expand for us a little bit about who you are. Okay, certainly, Taryn. Uh, I am an elite coach. I have a particular niche, and my niche is persons who are very successful, and most of them are uh, very senior executives or they're entrepreneurs or they're professional practitioners like dentists. And uh, they're already successful, but they want to make an impact to the world. And at the same time, they have an explicit spiritual longing or drive. They know that life is not all about getting the biggest toys or the most toys. And in the back of their minds, there's something around the lines of, I can sit down and meditate eight hours a day and grow spiritually, or I can go out and make a dent in the universe. And my job is to show them it's not or, it's and. That making the impact on the world is their spiritual path. And how does that all play out? And how does that shape your life? That's what my coaching is all about. Uh, I absolutely love that. That is an incredible mission. What brought you to this mission? What drew you to this work? Actually, Taryn, it's not something that I designed. It's what the universe put in my way. Let me tell you what happened. I came to America. I did my PhD at Columbia Business School, one of the great business schools in the world, 
went out into the corporate world, and I was immensely successful. I got burnt out by corporate politics, so I said, let me go into universities where there is no politics. I was sadly mistaken. <laughs> I was and about to start laughing at you. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's perfectly okay to start laughing at myself. Oh, Why my God. You laughed at me 40 years ago when I was about to make this idiotic. Oh, man. Okay, so And then I discovered, did. hey, politics is alive and well in university. I think mm-hmm. it was Kissinger who said the reason politics is so vicious in university is because the stakes are so small. <laughs> and you really nailed it. Yeah, that is so. so not only did I get caught in more and more vicious politics, but also for less money. So it was yeah. not a good decision. And so I stagnated for a while. All my life, I'd been doing a lot of reading, spiritual biography, mystical autobiography. They take me to a wonderful place. I came back to the real world and it sucked. And I remember thinking, if all of this stuff is useful, only if you're sitting quietly thinking peaceful thoughts, but not when you came to the early burly, then it's useless. Hmm. But somehow I knew it wasn't useless. I knew it was very valuable. Maybe even the only thing that is very valuable, I just hadn't figured out how to make use of it. Hmm. So one day I got my idea. Why don't I take the teachings of the world's great masters, strip them of religious, cultural, and other connotations, and adapt them so that they're acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. And the thought of doing that made me come alive. I was going to create that course because I needed it for me. I thought nobody's going to enroll in the course because I teach MBAs. We all know what motivates MBAs. But if nobody enrolled for it, God bless them. I was going to create the course because I needed it for me. I did. It did well. I moved it to Columbia Business School in 1999. It exploded. It was the only course at Columbia Business School that was a university-wide draw. When I had students from law school, business school, School of International and Public Affairs, journalism, teacher school, all over the place. And then it spread by word of mouth. People in other business schools came to Columbia on exchange, and they say I went back and said, "Hey, this is a great course. You got to get it. You got to uh, get it here." So I've taught it at many of the world's top business schools. It's the only course of its kind that has its own alumni association. What is the name of the course? What is the title of the Creativity course? Creativity and Personal Mastery. Mm, beautiful. And eventually I spun it out and I taught it privately in New York, London, and San Francisco. And since uh, the pandemic, obviously, I have, uh, it's all virtual now. But what also happened is uh, the course got a tremendous amount of publicity because I stayed in the syllabus for the course. This course will profoundly change your life. And if it doesn't, we'll both fade. It's a business school course, for heaven's sake. What do you mean it's going to profoundly change my life? But remember where I told you I drew my material from, the world's great masters. Yeah. So it really does change lives. And there are many people who will tell you that uh, this course has profoundly, dramatically changed my life. That's why, as I said, it has its own alumni association. It got a tremendous amount of publicity. It was written up all over the place, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Forbes, Business Week, you name it. So that's how people heard about it. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter that I was no longer in a business school. They came. And then 
there are lots and lots of my videos on YouTube and there's my TED talk has been viewed billions of times. So people start coming to me and said, I want to work with you. And I said, okay, I'm running this course. I said, you don't understand. I don't want to take your course. I want to work with you. Mm. So I became a coach, not because uh, I set out to become a coach, but because it was pretty much thrust on me. And how have you enjoyed the coaching? Have you enjoyed, how have you enjoyed that coaching? I love it. Because it's a very different style from speaking up on stage. Absolutely. It's very different, but I totally love it because all of the clients I have are very seriously engaged in both their professional life and their spiritual quest. And I have a very simple rule of thumb. When a client calls, does my heart sing? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, I take that person as a client. And if the answer is no, I don't work with that client. Hmm. So it's been enriching beyond belief. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's very similar to your business or what you're doing and how, how, how much you enjoy it just shows in the twinkle in your eyes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a phenomenal feeling. It's a phenomenal feeling to uplift others and empower others with this beautiful opportunity to see the world differently, to see themselves differently, and to recognize that power within them. So cool. I would love to talk about this incredible book. So I have just immersed myself in it. And I really have been enjoying it. Once again, it's Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots, The Movers and Shakers Guide to Unstoppable Success. And I'd love, even if we just start at the very beginning of the book, I think this is a moment in your book that struck me that many of us don't realize. And you open it up by saying, we are all sick and we call it normal. Mm -hmm. Please expand for my listeners a little bit about that. <laughs> All right. I'll borrow further from my book, uh, Taryn, if I may. Uh, let me ask you a question. In the past 24 hours, how long, ha how much have you thought about your left little finger? I love that question. I know, not at all. Right? Not at all, exactly. Not at all. So if you had to clip it or polish it, you directed your attention to it for a few seconds, and then you went on. Because when your left little finger is doing what left little mm -hmm. finger should do, it does its thing and is quiet and it doesn't draw attention to itself. But now let's imagine that somebody slammed the car door on your left little finger. Would it be fair that you'd say, say that you'd be thinking about it all the time? All the time. And constantly be drawing its attention to you? Absolutely. That's because it's hurt, it's sick, it's unwell. Now, consider your mind. If you had a good, functioning, normal mind, you tell your mind to do this and then forget about it, and your mind would go out and do it. But tell me, how many times does your mind intrude on in your life? What do they think of me? Do I look too fat? Oh, I really love that dress. Should I get it? It costs too much. I'll wait for a sale. But if I wait for a sale, maybe it won't come in my size. Let me go get it right now. Uh, what am I going to have for dinner? Think about how your mind is constantly interjecting and drawing attention to itself. 
constantly. This is so strong and powerful, I call it mental chatter, that it literally ruins your life. How many times do you or someone you know turn on the television, not because there's something there you really want to do or see, but because, you know, I, I, I got to distract, I got to distract this monkey mind, this demon, this demon that will not let me be. That is because our mind is deeply unwell. And we've got a peculiar way of dealing with this situation. We label it normal. Yeah, that was such a profound moment in the book when you said that was our solution is we just call it normal. So we just accept it. Mm -hmm. It's not normal. And the first step towards freeing yourself from this monkey mind. In India, you've got a, uh, an analogy. Imagine a monkey and you get it drunk and then it's stung by a scorpion. That is considerably more blessed than your mind. Mm. That's the beast we've been dealing with. And we have been exacerbating the antics of this monkey by the lifestyle that we lead. So if you really want to straighten out your life, you have to begin there. You know, I think it's such an interesting point, especially with the communities that you and I both serve, very successful business owners who attribute a lot of their success and accomplishment to the this monkey mind. <laughs> you know, especially when we find men and women who are very good at multitasking or very good at attributing their ingenuity to this chatter that keeps happening, attaching their sense of self to the mental chatter. Mm -hmm. Yes, they do. And it's a mistake. Not mm -hmm. only is it a mistake, it's a flagrant mistake. They accomplish what they did in spite of it, not because of it. Mm -hmm. And do you find that there's, if that is something that you have been doing and perfecting this this elusive management of your monkey mind that there's a breaking point that people get to that there's a point where it just seems impossible to continue any further either because you've been using some escape like you mentioned television or alcohol or drugs or some the various times this yeah very all these other opportunities to try and just calm that mind chatter. But do you think that most people get to a point where there is a breaking point? Something needs to change. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people really do get to a breaking point and then they tip over into insanity, you know, all kinds of psychological, deep psychological disturbances, depression. I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not going to give a medical opinion, but I'm going to give you my personal opinion. Depression is simply nothing but mental chatter that has been derailing you for so long that you're now, you, you find it impossible to get back on track. That's all mental chatter, depression is. Hmm. So in your book, you go in and you talk about 
beginning to re-engineer that. And, and actually, when you talk about when you change your mental model of the way the world works, you change and subsequently the world changes. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. so, it's a beautiful world out there. The only thing that makes it not beautiful is your screwed up way of looking at it. Absolutely. Please expand a little bit more. And, you know, it's so ironic because I just yesterday had um, one of the listeners in my audience contact me and say exactly, speak exactly to this. She said, how can you maintain such a happy disposition? How can you be talking about paying attention to your own mindset when there's so much evil and disaster going on in the world. And so I think that's what you're, you're pointing out here right now is when you change the way you see the world, the world changes. Absolutely. Taryn, there has always been unspeakable evil and suffering in the world throughout history. There have been wars, there have been famines, there have been dictators, there have been tyrants, they have done unspeakable, horrible things to uh, their subject, others. It's simply the way things have always been. Now, that doesn't mean you have to accept it. To the extent that you feel revolted by it, disgusted by it, troubled by it. That is the universe tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you have to do something about it. But the point is, what is the space from which you do something about it? If you do something about it from the space of, oh my God, this is really terrible, and I am going to go on, and I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to do it. That's your ego talking, I am. You're simply adding your suffering to the suffering of all the others. And more likely than not, whatever you do will compound the problem and make it worse. Yes. I encourage all of my coaching clients to think of their awareness as a flashlight. What does a flashlight do? A flashlight illuminates whatever you shine it on, right? Shine right. it on the floor, lights up the floor, shine it on the ceiling, lights up the ceiling. So your awareness is like a flashlight. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I want you to take your flashlight of awareness star in and shine it upon the chair in which you are sitting. The moment you do that, you become aware of the pressure of your buttocks on the seat. You become aware of the fabric or the leather against the back of your thigh, right? Absolutely. 30 seconds ago, you weren't aware of any of that, but now you are. That's because you've shown the flashlight of your awareness on that. Mm -hmm. What do we typically do with the flashlight of our awareness? We shine it on the two, three, or four things that are problems in our life. More precisely, we shine it on the two, three, or four things that we have arbitrarily decided is a problem in our life. And what about the 40, 50, 200 things that are pretty damn good about our lives? You know, we are not hungry. We know we're going to have dinner tonight. We have a bed to sleep in, a roof over our head. Any of these is a big deal in a big chunk of the world. So when I point that out, people say, yes, yes, that's true. We are privileged. But you don't feel privileged because you don't shine the flashlight of your awareness on these. 
lousy, rotten, stupid strategy. So one of the first things that I get my clients and students to do is shine the flashlight of your awareness on the many ways in which you are truly, truly blessed. And keep it there. I want everybody to occupy the default emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude. And the reason for that is when you're in the default emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude, you're not angry, you're not nervous, you're not anxious, you're not fearful. The two cannot coexist. And then from that domain of appreciation and gratitude, you look at the things that are bothering you about the world and say, what is it that I can do to help make things better in this little corner of my world? And I will try my level best to do that. And that's all you need to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. It really is a dramatic shift. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It's a conscious shift. Most of the time we are preoccupied with stuff and we direct our attention to that because it's clamoring for attention. It's unwell. So lodge yourself, anchor yourself in the part of you that is well, and from there start addressing the parts of you that are not unwell. And you'll be surprised at how much you change and the world changes immediately. If you're not separate from the world, Taryn, you and the you and the universe are dancing together. And when you're dancing together, if you lead differently, the universe doesn't have a choice. It has to follow differently. Love it. Love it. Such powerful words. I'm jumping to another section of the book that I wanted to touch upon. You say, in pursuing external freedom so fiercely, we've actually lost a much greater freedom. Absolutely, it's true. I think Look that now. right now what we're speaking about definitely speaks to this as well. Is yes, that yes, freedom? It does, completely. Yeah. Look, Taryn, we say, I want to be free. You know, I want to go out and I want to carry arms. I want to have an abortion if uh, I want to. I want to drink whenever I do. I don't want any barrier. I don't want anyone to interfere with my, quote, freedom. But we define freedom as no restriction on external action. But that's not what is binding us. You are feeling deeply unwell. So say, hey, you know, uh, I just want to sit down and read a quiet book, a book which I find improving rather than something which excites my baser instincts. Can you do it? Within seconds, your mental chatter cuts in. No, this is boring. Let's go something else. Such stupid characters. Well, why don't I have a drink? Let me call up someone else. And she never returned my call. And I thought she was attractive. And I thought that she thought I was attractive. But nothing is happening. Think about how your mind will not let you be. Mm. That, too, is loss of freedom. 
but we never think about that you know when the poet said stone walls do not a prison make nor iron bars a cage right on the money but we never pay attention to that and if you go on the poet says there are persons who look upon that stone wall as a sanctuary and a wonderful place mm -hmm. to relax that internal freedom is what we should be seeking but not only are we not seeking it but we've got all kinds of manner to stir it into a greater frenzy than it's ever been in a great deal of social media is just a mechanism to make you more agitated and therefore more unhappy than you were before you know you touched on social media and i wonder what your perspective is on the shackles of self-judgment and judgment of others of course but that limitation and that imprisonment from self-judgment here is the thing you know somebody one of my students once described facebook and instagram and so on as devastating because what you're doing is you're comparing your outtakes with everybody's show reels and that is such a beautiful way of putting it but the short answer is we're all far 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 too worked up on what do they think of me yeah. and i have an answer for that Taryn, I know what others think of you. Would you like me to tell you what others think of you? <laughs> I have a very good guess. They don't think. Not at all. Mm -hmm. We are all very busy watching the movie of my life, and yeah. we think everybody is watching the movie of my life, but they're not. They're watching the movie of their life. And in the movie of their life, you're a bit player if you have any, if you have any role at all. So don't obsess about what are they thinking of me. I'm telling you, they're not thinking of you. Don't even bother time thinking about yourself because it doesn't matter. Mm. Eventually, you'll find out that all of this thing, you know, I'm Taryn, I'm a dentist, I'm helping other dentists, I'm running this wonderful podcast, I'm eating great. It's all a story you're telling yourself. It's a soap opera. Absolutely. It's not true. Who you really are is beyond all of this, your pure spirit, your pure awareness. So the more you anchor yourself in that, the more you find that you're enjoying the business of being Taryn and enjoying the soap opera that you're a part of because you're no longer concerned. That's not you. That's the role you've been thrust into as you're trying to get out of the illusion. So if you're stuck in that role, might as well enjoy it and have a ball. And you'll find that you can have a deeper enjoyment of it than you ever thought possible. You, uh, you speak of something that I like to call levity as a tool for yes. accessing those, those deeper insights. How do you especially in the business world, how do you speak to your clients about incorporating a perspective or a lens of levity, not taking everything so seriously? Uh, two ways. One, exactly as I just did with you. Yeah. And two, what I do, what I recommend to everyone, and I'm going to recommend it to you and all of your listeners, 
is there is a British humorist called P.J. Woodhouse, who I think is one of the funniest persons to ever live. And I have a number of books by P.J. Woodhouse, which are required reading for my course. Oh, there you go. And, uh, you know, I am making a blanket statement to your audience. Go out and read one book by P.J. Woodhouse a month, and I will guarantee you, you will find your life better. Because it's not that serious. None of it. It's all a game anyway. Mm. We say, no, no, this is my life. This is my career. This is my marriage. This is serious. Yes, it's serious, but it's also a game. Mm. And you can only truly enjoy it when you treat it as a game. Mm. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> One of the things that you talk about is passion. And you mentioned, and this is reflecting on not taking everything so seriously, but passion does not exist in the job. It exists in you. Interesting as well, especially when we're speaking to very successful business owners, mm -hmm. successful men and women who've dedicated decades, millions of dollars to their profession, to their jobs. And really identify with being that person, that doctor, that business owner. And sometimes it can be terrifying to pull yourself out of that identity because they're not sure what is left. Mm -hmm. If I'm not a dentist anymore, if I retire, if I sell my business, if my kids move out of the house, I'm no longer mom to them every day. <laughs> that you know, what is left of me. And I loved what you said about passion, not being existing in the job, but existing in you. And I'd love for you to expand a little bit about that. Certainly, Taryn. When I was teaching at top business schools, I had an exercise. Uh, so many people said, you know, Professor Rao, I really want to be you. you know, I want to be passionate, dedicated, anxious. I love loving what you do. So how do you do that? So I had an exercise, you know, let's sit down and say, what does it take for you to be passionate about your job? What are the parameters of the job? And they loved that exercise and they sat down, they came up with, here's how much money I make, here's mm -hmm. how much I travel, this is the kind of person my boss is, this is how big my office is, and you know, 10, 15, 20 parameters. And that's when I tell them, wrong. First of all, the exact concatenation of uh, features that you put up doesn't exist. But even if it did and you were plugged into it, it would probably take just a few months for you to be the same sorry, miserable self there that you are now. Because passion does not exist in the job, it exists in you. And if you don't figure out a way to unleash it within yourself right where you are, you won't find it outside. So it defines what you're doing. I've got a very simple but very powerful mechanism, Taryn. And what I say is the only thing you ever do in life is you work on yourself. Yes. The universe gives you many tools, gives you a partner, gives you children, gives you your business. The business is Swiss Army knife of tools. So you work as diligently as you can. You want to be the best spouse you can be. You want to be the best uh, parent you can be. You want to grow your business so that all your employees feel fulfilled and uh, you know, they rise. But in the process of trying to do all of that, what you're really doing is you're working on yourself. All these things are 
tools given to you to work on yourself. And the only thing you ever do in life is you work on yourself. That is a profound statement that it takes a very long time for persons to feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But if you do, then you realize, you know, I'm a dentist. I'm feeling bored and burnt out in my career. I'm not using this tool as skillfully as I perhaps should be. Because it's not whether my practice grows or not. If it's not whether I can sell it at a high multiple or not, it's... um, I growing as I work on myself. And when you do that and you sincerely anchor yourself, your life is transformed. And you no longer even have to ask yourself the question, am I passionate? You know, if you have to ask yourself, am I happy? The answer is no, you're not. Hmm. Because the truly happy, satisfied people never even think about that question. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you didn't get into business to be miserable. The problem is that people feel that if their business gets busier, if they start becoming more successful, that happiness will eventually set in. But it can actually get worse. This is why I created the Business of Happiness Prosperity Coaching. In this one-on-one coaching, we look at how to redefine success on your terms and refine the joy and the passion in your dream. Visit me at thebizofhappiness.com and become the happiest business owner you know. Yeah, interesting. You know, you're touching on, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on the purpose of life. I mean, really, that's what we're talking about here. We are absolutely talking about that. What is the purpose of life? And the purpose of life is to be. Mm-hmm. Not to be this or that. Not to be the best dentist. Not to be the person who's on the cover of dental magazines. Not to be the person who has the most uh, number of practices that you control. Or not to be, you know, the ideal father. The purpose of life is to be. Mm. Not to be something or other, but just to be. Mm. And to experience everything that this human form has to offer. No, you don't even need to experience Ah. anything. Because when you want to experience it, you're a wanting being. I want, oh, I want this exotic thing. I want to go to Tahiti. I want to go to the Galapagos. I want to go someplace. I want to have the, you know, the biggest jet uh, I want to have, uh, you know, I think it was Prince Alwalid bin Talal who was the first person to have the Boeing 380, the Airbus 380 as a private plane. And that, of course, was before he had his famous showdown with the current monarch of Saudi Arabia uh-huh. and uh, that vanished. <clears throat> All of that, no matter your level of wealth or fame makes you a wanting creature. I want this experience. No, if the experience comes, it's fine. If the experience doesn't come, it's fine. I don't need it. I'm not seeking anything. I'm no longer a wanting creature. That brings us to your chapter 33. It's titled, Ambition is Bad for You. Yeah, <laughs> which, uh, I, and it's a deliberately provocative title. I know you were trying to stir up some uh, some emotions there. Absolutely. Because by definition, Darren, 
ambition is designed to make you unhappy with where you are. Mm. I am chairman of the department. That's not good enough. I have to be CEO. I am CEO. That's not good enough. I have to expand my company and be a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company instead of ambition. I want to be president. I want to be not just the president, but I want to be the president of this and two other surrounding countries, so I'll invade them. Ambition is designed to make you unhappy with where you are and drive you to someplace else. And it is enormously destructive to your well-being between your ears. Does that mean that you should not go out and strive to make things better? Don't I know that all the progress that humanity has made is because of people who didn't accept it? They were ambitious. We have a vaccine for polio because Dr. Jonas Suck would not accept it. No, all of that is true. What matters is the space from which you do it. I am perfectly happy where I am. I have a preference to have my own plane. So if I can afford it financially, I'll go out and buy my plane. And if I don't afford, can't afford it financially, I'm not going to go buy buy my plane. But it really doesn't matter Mm. because my well-being is not dependent on my having that. I have a preference. If it happens, fine. If it doesn't happen, fine. You know, we'll go with whatever the universe decides. Detachment from the outcome. Non-attachment to the outcome more than Mm -hmm. detachment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Completely. Completely. Very cool. As long as you're a wanting being and ambition is tremendous for producing wanting beings. So I'm fascinated in this journey of yours, Srikumar. What are you working on right now in terms of your own personal development, your own personal understanding and growth? Uh, I have to share a very powerful book with you, uh, Taryn. And I came across that book several decades ago and it made a big impact on me. And I'm going back now and reading it again and it's making more of an impact on me. And it's called The Way of a Pilgrim. Nobody knows who the pilgrim was. He was Russian. He roamed around in Siberia in the late 19th century. And the only thing he had was a torn woolen coat. And you're roaming around Siberia in a torn woolen coat. You're not in a very happy place. He had a dislocated shoulder and no doctor to go to. So he lived with the pain. But despite all of that, he was in a state of such spiritual exaltation that just reading it brings you into a, you know, it's horripilating. Mm-hmm. And the very first, uh, somebody discovered uh, the manuscript in uh, the early 20th century and it was translated and instantly became a spiritual classic. But the very first sentence, it talks about pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat that pray without ceasing. So all of us, and the pilgrim himself was confused. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? But actually, I've now come across the person who's influenced me more than anyone else in my life is an Indian sage called Ramana Maharshi. And Ramana Maharshi 
was an enlightened being who had a shortcut towards enlightenment. He simply says, anytime you asked him a question, he would turn you back and say, who is asking the question? Know that person. And then you recognize that your mind is constantly playing games with you. Is this going to work? You know, this person is not a true sage. He's a charlatan. I'm not going to. You're looking outside. You're making. But if you look in why and say, who is the person who's saying this sage is a charlatan? Mm. Who is that person? You'll eventually find out that what you're doing is you're playing multiple roles and you are none of those roles. So what Ramana Maharshi also says is that you have this inquiry, who am I, that has to be unceasing. And unceasing means unceasing every minute of every day. When you're awake, when you're asleep, you're always saying, who am I? That relates directly to what the pilgrim said, pray without ceasing. (laughs) And when you pray without ceasing, you will find gradually that from within you comes a power that takes you further on your journey. And your business as a human being is to get to the point where you can ignite that fire within yourself. Mm -hmm. Father Anthony de Mello, who is a Jesuit, Jesuit priest, who's also had a tremendous impact on me, used to talk about when this inquiry gets started, it's like a great fire that consumes everything in your life that is not you mm-hmm. and what is left mm-hmm. is pure being and all of the things that you think are you your personality your body your possessions are all gone they're still there but they're not yours your relationship with them has changed forever mm-hmm. that is something that I'm more consciously explicit on and trying to incorporate more and more in our lives. Mm-hmm. Ramana Maharshi had a great way of pointing this out. You get up in the morning and there's a ton of stuff you do and you never really think, I'm doing it. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you go to the toilet, you take a shower, and you never think, no, I'm, I'm doing all of that. But then you go to work and they say, you know, this is different. I have to use my cognitive ability. I have to think. What kind of a crown do I put on this patient? Do I really need to do this drill? Uh, Does he need root canal or should I simply extract the tooth? I have to think about all of that. I can't do it. The short answer is no, that's not true. You can be in a position where all of these things happen, but you're not doing it. Just as you're not brushing your teeth, but the brushing your teeth happens. It really requires thinking and cogitating to get to the point where things happen, but you're not doing it. But when you succeed in doing that, your life becomes a pain of joy. Wow. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful book. I really am so grateful to you. It's to- a complete, there's some beautiful moments in there that feel so familiar. And then there's some beautiful moments in there that are, offer a completely new and fresh perspective and something definitely to think about. So thank you. And thank, thank you for bringing all this work and insight to the business world 
and offering a new perspective in that regard. My pleasure entirely, Taryn. And thank you for coming on the show today. And I look forward to hearing more about you and to learning more about you. And for those of my audience members who would like to know more, how can they find you online? They can go to my website. It's www.therauinstitute.com. Fabulous, fabulous. And before you leave us today, I have to ask you, Shri Kumar, because I ask this of every one of my guests, what is your definition of happiness? My definition of happiness is an internal feeling of well-being that is so deep that it never leaves you. The knowledge that you are okay you have always been okay. You will always be okay. In fact, you cannot not be okay. You're in the human predicament, and as long as you're in the human predicament, stuff will happen. There will be serious illness and death. There will be career setbacks. There will be business reverses. There will be relationship problems. You will deal with each of these as appropriate when they happen, but you will deal with them from the space of I am okay and always have been. I am pure spirit. That is what I would define as purpose, quote unquote, of life. And that is also what is happiness. Beautiful. Thank you again, my friend. My pleasure entirely. And thank you to all of you for joining us here today. Please be sure to check out this great book, Modern Wisdom. Ancient Roots, The Movers and Shakers Guide to Unstoppable Success. It is a gem. And remember always, when you feel good, that is when you can do good. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Business of Happiness podcast. When you prioritize your own happiness and healing, you can be better for everyone else. If this episode resonated with you, be sure to share it with a colleague and elevate their day. And if you'd like more insight and support, join me in our private Facebook group, The Business of Happiness Hive. And until next time, remember, when you feel good, that's when you can do good. Bye-bye.